Hey, Kingdom Roots community. Have you ever wished you could understand the atonement better? Wish you could teach the atonement more clearly to your congregation? You're not alone. Scott has often said how the subject of the atonement is one of the most frequently asked questions that he fields. So Scott and I want to help you and your church embrace all the rich and vibrant images that come from the atonement. And we're going to do that by having another webinar this time on November 30th, where we're just talking about the atonement. Again, this webinar is going to be on November 30th at 10 a.m. Central Time. You can sign up for this webinar online on a link that I'm going to include in the show notes for our episode today. If you can't attend live on that November 30th date at 10 o'clock Central Standard Time, no worries, you should still register because we'll be sending out the recording to all registrants. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Kingdom Roots. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have the second part of our questions from How to Teach the Church to Read the Bible webinar. Okay, Scott, I got to say, last episode, you did pretty well in uh, firing back all those questions that I was throwing your way. Uh, You think you're up for the challenge again this this episode? We'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. Those are good. Those were good questions. And the, the listeners are pondering the significance of learning to read the Bible better. So it was fun. Yeah, yeah. it's an incredible topic and um, something that hopefully we, we all continue to improve on along the way. So, all right, well, to not waste any time and jump into the first question, Jimmy asked this. He said, I'm wondering if there is a definition of story and plot that you have in mind that helps me understand the differences between the two. So for a little context in the webinar, um, Scott it gave a number of points and um, talking about the um, overarching story of the Bible was one as well as the plot within the story. So I wonder if there's anything that, that you would have, Scott, to help Jimmy out with this distinction. Well, this is a very interesting question. It's a little hermeneutical and a little bit of an academic discussion that is not something I teach or think about very much. But let's just say that story is used uh, as a contrast to propositions or systematic theology. Systematic theology tends to organize Christian thinking in terms of categories. So they call them the, the loci, or that is God, man, Christ, sin, salvation, ecclesiology, eschatology, things like that. Um, that's that's one way of organizing it. Story is the is a different approach to organizing uh, Christian thinking and how the Bible is put together. Whereas a systematic theologian will investigate what the Bible has to say in order to find its core ideas so that they can be um, synthesized into a system of thought, a story approach or a narrative approach, and again, those are sophisticated terms in, in certain contexts, but I'm not using them that way, um, is to look at the Bible in, in terms of the basic narrative from creation to consummation. So the categories are not God, man, sin, salvation, etc. God, man, Christ, sin, salvation, etc. They are, uh, let's say, creation, uh, then 
uh, Adam and Eve and fall and Abraham and the covenant, Moses and the law, David and the kings, Isaiah and the prophets, Jesus as the Messiah who fulfills the expectations inherent to that narrative from uh, Adam and Abraham through the prophets, uh, the church as the people of God expanding the people of Israel and all looking forward to the final new heavens and new earth uh, and, and the kingdom of God. So that all of a sudden the categories change because it is uh, in terms of a plot. So the plot then is how that narrative or story unfolds in the pages of the Bible. Um, and inherent to a plot, uh, technically in story, there is a, a setup and a tension point mm -hmm. or a problem to be resolved. Mm -hmm. And I find this to be very, very important uh, that that we have to see what the Bible is trying to resolve to understand the narrative itself so that we can find uh, uh, the, the, how that problem was originally articulated. So let me say it this way. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. This is how the gospel is articulated by Paul that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised according to the scriptures, and that he ascended. And I believe it goes all the way through 1 Corinthians 15, 28, so that he will return and he will conquer all and he will hand the kingdom over to his father where God will be all in all. Mm -hmm. All right, when that is the core answer to the Bible's narrative, then the solution is that Jesus is the Messiah. You can't understand the Bible's narrative until you understand that the Bible is looking for that king to rule on earth and conquer evil and hand it all over to God. All right, this changes how we read the Bible. So now we read the Bible toward Christ as Messiah conquering evil and handing it all over to God rather than how can I be saved? Now, how can I be saved is a part of conquering evil. Right. But if we rip it from that narrative and create another narrative that really what the Bible is about is how I personally can get saved and go to heaven when I die, then I change the Bible's narrative. So um, I, I believe that we have to distinguish a story from plot, but learning to read the Bible as a narrative or as a story uh, and seeing how that plot fits in there really reshapes how we learn to read the Bible. And that's where I think there's been great contributions and excitement around people who have said, uh, theology has done its work and it's helped us and we're not backing off its firm conclusions, mm -hmm. but we are learning to recontextualize uh, the message of the Bible, the core Christian idea into more of a narrative and story framework rather than a systematic uh, framework. At least I am. Yeah, and obviously that's a that can be a difficult task given uh, many people have read the Bible in the those categories maybe <clears throat> of theology concepts of God, man, sin, 
Christ, etc. Um, and shifting can be really difficult. And Andy Brock asks a, a good question. Actually, Andy and Randall asked a, a similar question. But they asked, Scott, I have encountered many longtime members of my churches who do not know the overall narrative, nor the distinctive stories of that narrative. How do we help them to catch up to the story as they read the Bible? I already use many of the stories in my preaching and teaching. So from, a, I guess, a pastoral perspective, how, how do we lead people in our preaching and teaching to help them grasp and catch up to the story as they read the Bible? Very good. Very good question. And I think that this answer, I think that this question can be answered in, in a way that I believe is pretty simple, uh, but it requires a discipline. All right. The simple answer is this. When we preach from a passage in the Bible, it is important for us to contextualize that passage, not ne- not always at the beginning of the sermon, but at some place in the sermon or some place in the series uh, that we are doing. We contextualize that passage and that idea in the Bible's overall narrative. Mm-hmm. I believe we, we need to do this constantly, uh, routinely, and over time, I say it will take five years. Uh, if, if you, especially if you uh, consider that the average parishioner today only attends church two times a month rather than if four that. times a month. <laughs> All right. So once you recognize that people are not going to be there every week, you can't simply just assume that because you said something uh, three weeks ago that everybody in the church is going to remember it. Mm-hmm. We have to repeat ourselves over and over on pulling together the Bible's big narrative. So I believe that's the simple idea is that when we're teaching the Bible, we contextualize passages and themes in the Bible's overall narrative. The discipline is to do this on a regular basis. The substance, however, is is what really matters. And that is working hard early um, before, you know, at, at some point now, starting now, of forming the Bible's big narrative that you will use routinely, and you won't change dramatically, that you'll keep pushing this big narrative over and over and over. I, I, will, I, I tell the Bible's narrative through three major terms. I tell it through the, the term of theocracy, God ruling the world to 1 Samuel 8, monarchy, God ruling the people of God through a king in Israel, uh, that is from 1 Samuel 8 to Jesus in Matthew 1.1, and then Christocracy, God ruling the world through his son, Jesus. So uh, theocracy, monarchy, Christocracy. That's the big narrative that I use all the time when I'm teaching and preaching. Now, you can break this into separable points. Uh, you can break it down into different ways, but if you keep the big ideas present on a regular basis, and you break it down so that always the big ideas are seen over time. And I would say, again, it take about five years of doing this routinely from uh, the teaching platforms of the church, that this narrative can then be absorbed by the people in your church, and you will discover that their systematic theology will take on a narrative flair, mm-hmm. and that will be good for the church. Yeah, I agree. 
And I think you may have already articulated this and so um, in, in what you've said, but Jeremiah asks, does the new perspective necessitate a change in our understanding of the fundamental overarching story of the Bible? I wonder if you've got anything to add to that for Jeremiah. Does it change? Yes, I think it does. Um, but I, I here's the problem. Yes, I think it does change, but it will change differently according to different new perspective angles. So Jimmy Dunn's narrative of the Bible is different than N.T. Wright's narrative from the Bible and my narrative from the Bible and other new, t- new perspective people. Their narrative is slightly different. But uh, the big narrative change that occurs for the uh, new perspective is less emphasis upon what I often call Augustinian anthropology— where that becomes the fundamental problem of the Bible, to the people of God being the fundamental problem, that Israel Israel did not accomplish its mission or Israel did not include the people. Now, I just gave to you N.T. Wright's and then James D.G. Dunn's uh, basic uh, problem that they see fixed in Jesus and in the church. So, I believe that, and I and I adhere to both of those perspectives, I believe that the fundamental narrative in the Bible takes us from God working redemption for the world through his people Israel and expanding Israel, not replacing Israel, not erasing Israel, not superseding Israel in that sense, but expanding Israel to include Gentiles in the one true people of God so that it is a worldwide Catholic Gentile, Jewish, universal body of Christ in the world today. So I think that narrative emphasizing the inclusion of Gentiles in the people of God is an additional element to, let's say, the need for people to have redemption. I believe that the standard narrative in the old or Reformation perspective, and in some ways I think also at times in the apocalyptic understanding, is that it is about creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And when it is about that narrative, then the problem is human sin and the uh, need for personal salvation so that it becomes a narrative about how to get saved. That is an important narrative within, I believe, the larger narrative of theocracy, monarchy, and Christocracy, which I articulate in my book, Kingdom Conspiracy. Good. Now, well, I'm going to have us change gears a little bit into um, less about less of more theological slant to more of some of the practical ways people engage with Scripture. And, and today, with our advent of technology and so many people engaging with Scripture that way, both Richard and Eric ask a similar question in how do you feel about encouraging some or even all people to listen to, to the Bible using apps, etc., or reading along with the Bible? through technology, and um, just wondering your thoughts about that, as well as maybe some predictions on um, people's retention and how that could influence people in our church and their engagement with the Bible. Uh, Chaz, if I understand the question, they're asking about listening to the Bible being read uh, through technology? Yes, that's a—so I guess they're it can be broken up into two parts. So just in general, what do you feel about the um, engagement of the Bible with technology? And that includes things like listening to the Bible through an app or, um, or just reading the Bible on your phone 
through a, an app and of that sort. Okay. The first thing is this. I'd like to talk about listening to the Bible. I got the Bible experience when it came out. In fact, I didn't even have to buy it. I was sent it. And I listened. It was African-Americans reading the TNIV. And it was electrifying for me. I loved listening to this. So I, and so I, I enjoy listening to the Bible. The second thing is this. The Bible was meant to be listened to, not read. The Bible wasn't given as scripture to people to read because the people who got the Bible originally could not read. Most people didn't read in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. So the Bible was encountered all the time by most people by hearing it read. So I believe that listening to scripture is very important. And here's the problem. Moderners, modernists, people like us are so literary in our cultural uh, uh, nurturing and nurturance that we have a hard time listening to scripture being read. Hmm. I like uh, I'm in an uh, I'm an Anglican and in our church we have the lectionary and we read from four different selections of scripture every week and only occasionally do I open a Bible. Sometimes I follow along in the bulletin, but I like to just close my eyes and listen to Scripture being read. I think it's um, it's a good discipline, and we need to do more of that. So that's one thing. On technology, we know for a fact that the that the mind does not register in memory as well with an electronic text as it does with a hard copy. I don't even like to use the word hard copy. Paper copies. That uh, there, is a, there is a tangible, physical uh, brain response connected to words on a page that is not the same as words in an electronic digital format. So I use electronic digital framework for for consulting, for quick reference. It's awfully nice to have my Bible uh, research things on electronic format. I use Accordance from Olive Tree. Um, but when I'm reading the Bible to work on the text, I don't use the electronic form. I use the Greek New Testament in paper, and I use the, right now I'm working on the Book of Romans, and I'm using the NRSV uh, paper copy, uh, and I think that it makes a big difference if we're going to study the Bible and read it carefully. We should be doing it in hard copy, that the electronic form is not as impressionable in the brain. This is what research is telling us. I don't know if that's true. I trust them. But I don't read the Bible uh, electronically for the sake of reading it or meditating on it unless I have no other access. Yeah. Sure. So one group of people that this is going to affect largely the most is going to be our children who are growing up today in a digital and technology-filled world. And uh, J.D. Reynolds and Zach Dydra both ask a similar question about um, how do we apply these principles to teaching children, not just the more of the general principles of how to read the Bible. Um, but how do we apply these principles to teaching children how to read the Bible? Do they translate across the board, or is there a best place to start for them? Uh, on 
Chaz, I'm not sure I know what the question is here. Um, I thought we were going to go technology with kids, and the next thing you know we're talking about. Are we talking about teaching children how to read the Bible? Yeah, sorry. I okay, kind of uh, jumped ahead on you yeah, <laughs> without right, here, explaining it more. Here, yeah, so, here's, so more here's specifically would, to kids, yeah. Yeah, here's what I would say. I believe the church's, one of the church's most important tasks is called catechesis. And I know Zach Deirdre will appreciate this. Catechesis, he's one who asked the question. Catechesis is the church's instruction. In the history of the church, the church's catechisms have tended to be framed by systematic theological categories. Uh, rooted, of course, in the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. That's good. Uh, that's a little bit less than a systematic theology. I believe that we are in need of a narrative Bible story-based catechism for the church. And I've actually thought about working on this topic, and I probably need some friends to work with me on it. But I think that uh, it is important for us to teach our children a narrative that invites them to become Bible readers rather than a set of theological propositions that teaches them that they already know the answers to whatever the Bible has to say. So instead of teaching answers to theological questions, which I think in part we have to do, I believe that a catechism ought to, focus, uh, ought to be shaped and framed by the Bible's narrative, um, finding its resolution in Christ. You can begin with Christ, for all I care. It, it's not the point. The point is, I think the catechism itself needs to find a narrative framing rather than, uh, let's just say, a systematic framing. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, so in regards to a place to start, Joel asks this. Everyone seems to have their own book that they recommend to people who want to get into reading their Bibles, meaning a book of the Bible to start with. What book of the Bible would you recommend people start with? Uh, this is a good question, and I grew up uh, hearing about this. I, I heard people say you start with the Gospel of Mark, and I heard people say you start with the Gospel of John. That's what I grew up uh, listening to. Uh, and I never quite understand that because as a high schooler, I read the Bible from cover to cover for the first time, and I thought every one of those bu uh, books in the Bible mattered. Uh, but I do believe that uh, that many people learn to read the Bible uh, beginning with a book. And I would say the first thing is that uh, we need to take into consideration who is who we are asking to who is asking to read the Bible. So in other words, some people I think it would be best if they began with John, other people with Matthew, um, other people with uh, Mark. And yet other people with Luke. And I, I don't think it makes that much difference myself. I believe that it is important in learning to read the Bible to begin with Jesus. So the Gospels become for me the place to begin to learn to read the Bible. Not Galatians, not Romans, not Hebrews, not Revelation. Some people do begin there. Uh, not Habakkuk, uh, but uh, start with the Gospels, and if it's going to be an early attempt to learn to read the Bible or to learn what the Bible's about, I say, yeah, let's start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I don't think it matters, and give them a good 
survey of the teachings, the life, and the accomplishment, or what used to be called the achievement of Jesus in his death and resurrection. And that'll flow into living out the story, which is one of the last two. So we got time for just two last questions, and they're they're two good questions. So um, that flows into, I think, what you're talking about, learning Jesus to, to live out the story. Hunter asks this, how can leaders help new churchgoers to know and live the biblical story? Well, I think in some ways uh, we've been touching on this in, uh, from different angles, yeah. and that is— uh, I would say to know it, the first thing is we need to teach it from the pulpit, which is one of the primary means that people learn about the Bible, and let's not forget that. So I think we need to teach it, preach it, uh, pastor it. The second thing is I think we need to frame what we do in the church, all our Sunday school classes, all our missions work, everything we do should be framed in the context of the Bible's big story. And then third, we recommend books, we recommend readings, we develop Bible studies for home groups, etc., however your church does it, that are connected to the big story that the church is teaching. So it's probably the most important thing here is for a local church to develop a story, a narrative at its core, probably led by the pastor or the, prim uh, the primary teaching pastors in a church that becomes the foundation for developing programs that are shaped by the narrative and story of the Bible. That's good. All right, so for our last question together today, uh, Joshua asked this, and I, I got to tell you, we're going to leave you with a tough one, but it, it, he asks, my denomination is on the brink of splitting because of the way we interpret and prioritize parts of Scripture concerning human sexuality. Can you suggest a way to read Scripture as a community and remain united even though we differ in interpretation and application? Well, at a general uh, level, yes, I think I can recommend that we learn to read the Bible in, um, in a narrative way that can bring together diverse uh, Christians. But there are some topics where uh, different answers uh, yield such different, or, or, uh, different, different conclusions about what the Bible says or doesn't say yield such different results for people that the people really struggle to get along. So I would say when we're dealing with us, particularly with same sex issues, I think that every church uh, has a responsibility to clarify, to think as leaders of what it believes about what the Bible says. I've written about this in my book, A Fellowship of Difference. Um, I believe that every church needs to uh, come to conclusions about this kind of topic uh, and not to be afraid to talk about it, to be merciful in whatever it teaches. Um, and if people in the church can get along, that's good. But if it becomes a fight to death, if it becomes a fight that it's either my way or the highway, then uh, it is unfortunate, but it is going to be the case that some Christians are not going to be able to get along with other Christians because they think that this is too big of a topic to surrender on. I, and I'm talking about either side here. Yeah. So I, I, I would say that I don't believe, this is my belief right now, 
I do not believe that there is any solution available in the church today that is workable for a broad spectrum of Christians that allows both sides to live in peace and harmony together well. I, I have not, I've seen smaller groups that can live with tension on this, mm -hmm. but uh, once a church becomes a certain size, uh, people want to articulate this view, and some people are just simply unwilling to negotiate or to compromise or to surrender on any, in any way to the other side on this issue. And uh, this is where I think uh, right now uh, it seems like the only way it's going to happen in the United States and the Western world that I'm familiar with is for churches to agree not only to disagree, but to agree that we're not going to be able to meet together on a regular basis. And so, unfortunately, these churches are going to split, and this is going to happen probably. In the, this person's probably talking about the Methodist church, maybe the Covenant church. I think sometimes you're just going to have to look and say, these people are not going to get along very long uh, together. Yeah, definitely a major challenge for the, the church today to hammer out and, and figure out all of that. Well, Scott, thank you so much for um, being on the ropes and answering all of these questions so well, and um, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, before we go, any closing thoughts to kind of wrap up our, our time together and the themes that we've been talking about for our audience today? The first thing, yeah, I, I only want to say this. I think that it is the responsibility of leading teachers and preachers in churches to embody Bible reading and to teach Bible reading to other people in the church so that uh, this is not something that they develop so much as a program as that they experience firsthand by watching pastors perform Bible reading in how they teach and preach the Bible and live, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that that we I, I always go to leaders. Leaders have the responsibility to embody uh, this type of message by doing it. Absolutely. And so we're thankful and hopeful that this time together with you it was helpful in in your work in helping people to to learn and to read the Bible for themselves and to understand it because truthfully we wouldn't know how the kingdom took root then without doing these exercises and and being good about reading the Bible and so we hope this is helpful for you as you allow and bring the kingdom to take root in your, your context. So uh, thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.